Welcome, movie fans. Thanks for joining us for episode 86 of Reading Between the Reels, the premiere podcast of Simply Walking into Mordor. If you're a new listener, we're glad you found us. And if you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us, please, uh, on X or Facebook. Write a review on your favorite podcast catcher or just recommend the show to a friend. I'm Justin Eldon, and I'm joined by Corey Heitschmidt and Craig Dickinson. How's how's it going? Yes, it's going well. Uh, yeah, it's going great. Really excited about the show. Corey, how are you doing? I'm good. I was muted for a second. Sorry. Yes. You, did, yeah. you didn't get to hear my golem, my precious, but. Uh, today on the show, we also have a good friend, fellow teacher, and huge Lord of the Rings fan, uh, Andrew Clark. Andrew, how are you? That was the greatest intro, Justin Eldon. <laughs> you have a voice and a face for radio. <laughs> wow. So I, okay, he, now that you commented slash made fun of my intro, I feel like I have to bring up the fact that I actually went through many versions of that intro. Uh, Craig helped that was me, a com- you know. That was a compliment. That was brainstorm a it. No, intro. no. So the other one was premiere podcast of Second Breakfast. Second breakfast. The other one was premiere podcast of Simping for the Elf Queen. Ooh. I, I like that one. That was appropriate. Oh. Um, but I said it anyway. And then I had another one. Mm, I don't remember. I mean, they're all oh. golden. Well, we decided to go with a podcast of Simply Walking into Mordor. I like it. Yeah. Do not take him for some podcaster of cheap tricks. Uh, so as many of you can tell maybe we should have said this earlier but we are doing uh, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring the extended version the best and only version that should exist Uh, and that's what we are going over tonight so let's get started yeah so we're going to start as we always do with our overall thoughts on, on the film and so Andrew, since you're the guest, I'm going to ask you to say, uh, just what are your overall thoughts on the movie, Fellowship of the Ring? Oh, uh, well, thank you, Craig, Craig, uh, Craig, if I may. Thank you for having me. Um, overall thoughts. Uh, this is the greatest trilogy of all time, and Fellowship of the Ring is the best movie of the trilogy. So is it the best movie of all time? I don't know, but in it's high up there. Uh it is the pinnacle of cinematography. Uh, watching the trilogy on the big screen when it came out as a child was uh, life-changing for me. And uh, The Fellowship of the Ring is amazing because it has all the genres of film within it. It has action, adventure, romance, horror, and drama. So it's got everything you need. That sounds a little bit like when I ask my daughter what her favorite color is, and she's like, Rainbow! <laughs> I love this movie because it has all the genres. It does. It does. It it's, does. Though. It, uh, you're it's not wrong. Unique of the you're, three. You're the, right. The other two, Two Towers and Return of the King, are very much action adventures. And this movie is has it all. That is a solid argument. Yep. Corey, why don't you jump in next? What are your, what are your overall thoughts? All right. Well, I agree with Andrew. I believe this is probably, I would say this ranks above Star Wars to me. I think Star Wars is, people throw that out there, hold the title. Star Wars is going off nostalgia. I think this is an epic tale from start to finish. And I'm not just talking start to finish of Fellowship. I'm talking 
the whole trilogy. I agree. This may be, I was racking my brain trying to think of other trilogies that could be top, top one over this, uh, star Wars. I put down lower the storytelling in star Wars is great, but not like this. I mean, the way they build this, this entire world, we're going to get to this, Craig. I know it. I'm, I'm jumping in the thunder here, but the world building, the character, the, the acting, I mean, Gollum, every single person in this movie that the CGI holds up today makes this a, an amazing tale. And here's here's my overall take, though, because I watched, we were talking about this, getting ready to prep for the show. We were watching, was it Siskel or Ebert? Which one was that guy? Was uh, critiquing uh, the show? It was Ebert and Ebert, then whoever and Roper replaced him. Ebert and Roper, back in 2001, were talking about this movie. And they were trashing on the movie. They called it, oh, a... You know, a silly ring, and the movie was three hours, and who's going to sit for a three-hour movie? And I'm going to tell you what. They were saying, oh, well, the people who love it will love it. And I was blown away because I think this is a perfect example of one of those movies. It comes out. There's a few negative reviews by reviewers and these people who are supposed movie critics. But then you get down the road, and you see the end of the whole trilogy, the story building, the arc and the characters and where they go and what they become. And you look and you say, from start to finish, this was an amazing epic table tale that just you can't you can't match this today. I don't even think you could make this movie today. I don't I don't think this movie could be done like it was in 2001, the early 2000s. I don't think they could make this movie. There would be too much uh too much of the current writing stuff, which throws too many things in. I think that might show up in their prime video of Lord of the Rings stuff, you know, where it's mm-hmm. it's just got different agendas and different um, stuff pushed into it, which waters the story down. So I think this movie was a perfect time, a perfect place, and is perfect three movies. You are absolutely correct, Corey. It would not oh. be made today. It's amazing. So, yeah. The whole time I was watching this movie, the 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 phrase that kept coming to mind was like fine wine. Like this movie was amazing when it came out, and I feel like every time I watch it, it gets better. And with the exception of like a couple of CGI moments, all of it holds up incredibly well. Oh, at yeah. some point, I remember being like, okay, there's a lot of slow motion. We need to like cool it, but that's like a very very minor critique but kind of like what Corey was saying the movie came out and it got a couple of negative reviews um i actually spent a long time in preparation for this watching the reviews that people had of this movie when it came out and i was i was i was surprised to hear negative reviews i I always thought this movie was like universally loved um but i think most of the negative negativity comes from people were just not used to this type of film where it is not a self-contained story. It does end on a cliffhanger. It is really long. There's a lot of dialogue. Um, and it's it's just, it wasn't for, I think, the audience at the time, and it kind of set the bar. It even, it moved the goalposts, I think, entirely for what an epic film is. Like, now, if a film is under two hours, we're almost just like, wait, what? Like, that was that was short. We expect longer movies, and I think Lord of the Rings has a lot to do with it. Back then, movies I don't think were this three-hour tale. I think that was a stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, weird, a sure. three-hour movie is not a big deal. I'll go watch a three-hour movie and not blink twice about it. I kind of feel like I wasted my money if it's not like at least two and a half. Yeah. I, I, felt, 
Oh, sorry. I, I felt offended during Batman when they gave an intermission for a three-hour movie. <laughs> I don't need an intermission for a three-hour movie. Yeah. See, no, I'm going to disagree there. I think movies should be longer and have more intermissions. One, I have to go to the bathroom. And two, they would sell more concessions if there were more yes, intermissions. Yes, I don't understand why no, they don't gonna get that. less. You're going to get less showings, though, which is part of the pushback, too. You can squeeze less showings into the day. Justin, you're going to go to the bathroom if there's an intermission or not, so I don't need an intermission. You're going to go either way, twice. I haven't peed on a movie theater floor in quite some time, Andrew. Okay. Oh, (laughs) secrets are out. So I'm going to push back a little bit on the length that they all need to be three hours, because we recently did Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I will remind you is under two, and feels just as full as any movie that comes out of three hours. Most times, three-hour movies are... Most of the time, not this one. This is one of the, the exclusions. I think this a lot of people have messed, did not learn the right lessons from this. Like this is three, actually this extended is like three and a half hours, three hours and 40 minutes. And all of it deserved, right? There's a lot of three hour movies. There's a lot of padded runtime, a lot of times. Um, so I don't necessarily, length isn't necessarily better. I think better is better. Kind of like essays, kids. Um, but yeah, to talk about what well, you guys said earlier, that this movie could be made today. This movie, like I'm just looking at the budget, for instance, $93 million for the budget. What? Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Like they're going to spend three times that to make them try to make a movie like this at this point. I, I don't think they fellowship or all three for that's just for fellowship. And I know they're, yeah, they're filming them concurrently. So those numbers are a little bit weird, but even still you're going to get, even if it's, Three times that for for the three movies. I mean, you're still looking at you know less than four hundred million for. Well, think of the gamble eleven hours too, of film. Like a studio, I don't feel like would do that today. Yeah, gamble on that and film all three concurrently yeah. without knowing that there's going to be a box office return. Yeah, when there was a push for that, I remember hearing like they wanted it to be two movies. Can we just do one movie and a lot of that? So yeah, to, it's it absolutely was a gamble. A new line was not that big of a studio at the time. Like this, it did. Like I loved it. Somebody said, you know, move the goalposts. I think that's a really apt uh, description for, for this. And then, of course, like being, you know, Justin, I love what you said, too, about you know, we we look back at it, we think it was universally acclaimed, which is odd to think that it wasn't. Yes. Especially because, like, it was nominated for 13 Academy Awards. Won four right. of them, one of which for cinematography, Only as Andrew four. pointed out. Yeah. So, best cinematography, best visual effects, best makeup, best original score, which we'll talk about. The score is amazing. Also nominated for Best Picture, Best Art Direction, Best Director, Best Editing, uh, Best Original Song, and Costume Design, and Adapted Screenplay, which I think is another thing that kind of gets lost in this, is that, yes, Peter Jackson is a very accomplished filmmaker. Kudos there. Absolutely. 100%. Setting that aside, like this is Tolkien's novel. So like a lot yes. of that credit needs to also be like, yes, the world building. It was there. He adapted it, which is amazing that he was able to do that. I think they're two very separate things. Like the story also, is amazing because it was that novel, but adapting that massive novel is a whole other thing. And how that didn't win this adapted screenplay is beyond me. I, I do feel like it opens an entirely new can of worms, though, when you are adapting a novel because you already have a built in fan base. And in 2001, fan bases aren't like what they were today because the Internet wasn't as prevalent. But you have like this built in fan base that you run the risk of upsetting mm-hmm. or and alienating quite a bit yep. and i think for the most part most of the changes uh that peter jackson made have been pretty universally praised i know there's a couple that people don't like but um yeah i mean film ad- adaptations don't always 
go well, and he that's true too. He pulled, he yep. pulled it off. But that, it's but and I think some of that is just a hardcore fan base that can't get on the board and say not everything that looks good in my mind and in a book fits on a screen in the same way. It doesn't hit the same. It doesn't feel the same. It's great in writing. It's terrible in vi- in vision. Like you just can't draw that. So there always has to be changes. I think Peter Jackson did this story justice. I I absolutely feel like Tolkien if he'd walked out and walked into this theater and bought a ticket <clears> and went and sat and threw it. That guy would have been pleased with what he got on a product here. Yeah. I think I think the 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 shots are amazing. Yeah. I mean everything from this from from all three, even into the Hobbit movies which I like. I love those movies. So too, I was but... um I'll jump in here. I was uh let's see, 12 years old when uh Fellowship came out, came out in 2001. Um it was totally life-changing and full disclosure, I was not a Tolkien fan. Like I I never read the books before I saw the <laughs> movies. So <laughs> Peter Jackson's uh interpretation brought in I would say millions of fans. I I don't have any numbers, but I would say tons of people Came, became Lord of the Rings fans because of Peter Jackson's movies. I'm one of them. I didn't read them until after I saw The Fellowship, and then I read the books. And yeah, there's a lot of uh, deviations, but I think Peter Jackson in his famous interview where he said we didn't want to take anything away from Tolkien, I think he achieved that. And if you watch the 70s animated film, I think Jackson borrowed a lot of stuff from that. Not a lot, like a couple scenes, uh, several scenes, but um, I think he definitely did it justice, and it's it's hilarious because Christopher Tolkien, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's son, was like, "Yeah, the movies they're not that great," but then Simon, the grandson, came out, and <laughs> the fan base very much loves Christopher for gatekeeping J.R.R. Tolkien's works, and Simon, the grandson, kind of comes along and is kind of looking for a profit. Simon was like, "Oh." I don't think Peter Jackson was, uh, I think he was too loyal to the books. I think he should have deviated <laughs> even more. And yeah. the hardcore people are like, no, he deviated way too much. Yeah. yeah give me some Tom Bombadil in there. I'm just kidding. I don't know. And all the songs movie. too. Right. Yeah. I, you know, just to kind of build off what you said too, Andrew, like I a little bit older than, than you, but I did not read those books as a kid either. I didn't read them until, excuse me, until right before the movies came out. And I rushed through the trilogy just because I wanted to have that experience. But I think I missed a ton. And so seeing this movie, especially even the, just the beginning, which we'll get to, um, with the narr- opening narration, I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense now. I'm going to now need to go back and read the book again. And it only inspired that love of this, of, of the books, too. So I love both. I love the movies and the books. And yes, they're different animals, different versions of the story. There's clearly a lot more in the books. Um, but yes, it, the same thing for me. It was like, yes, the movie makes me like the book more. See, and I think that's the problem right there with uh, Ebert's movie review is I think people went into this movie in the beginning of this fellowship, and this is a three hour and 48 movie, uh, three hours, 48 minute movie. It takes a long, slow build on a lot of things. There's a lot, and there's a lot that could edit out. You got sweeping panoramic shots that could easily be condensed down to 10 seconds instead of a minute. I love those. Right. But I think what happens is, this movie is so deep in a world building in the fellowship. That's what makes this movie stand out from the other two. This movie has, when you jump in, you're not jumping in at the beginning of the tale. You really aren't. You're nope. jumping in midstream and you as a viewer who's new to Tolkien, cause I never read the books. 
you have to figure out one, and I still don't even know who the orcs are, where they're coming from, the Urukai. <laughs> like you, you're jumping in, and people are confused because they're like, "Wait, who are these guys? Where'd they come from? Why are they digging up those bodies?" They're all questions that you just have to accept and move forward with. And back in 2001, and, and I think up till now, people want to be spoon fed a quick story and a quick tale, and then jump into the character building. But I think. This is, you jumped in midstream. You were like, I'm in the Shire. And then next thing I know, I got some orcs looking at me like with maggoty teeth and trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And so people were a little jolted jumping in midstream. But when you get to the Two Towers and Return of the King, you feel more grounded. You've got some experience. You know who the main key players are. Now you can build mm -hmm. their characters. Yep. See, I, I don't know if I fully agree with that because I feel like the books came out so long ago that so much of like Tolkien's fan idea of what fantasy is had just kind of permeated the culture. Like you, you see little drops and drizzles of that everywhere. Like in, in every fantasy film where you have a general idea of like what orcs are and you have a general idea of what dwarves are and elves and you have a general idea of all this stuff. So I, I don't know, at least when I first saw it, I didn't feel completely thrown in. I didn't read the book yeah. until after I saw the movie. I, I felt like I had some idea of, who elves were and who orcs were. Um, and I didn't necessarily need that explained to me. Yeah. But this might I be mean, the part time to bring up that again, we're not the normies. Yes. So. Well, as I mean, Corey said um, about the orcs, like a lot of the stuff that Tolkien wrote is deliberately nuanced. So we don't really know. And that's kind of the beauty of it is because I think, piggybacking off of what Corey said about how everything is, they hold your hand through everything now. You need origin stories, and you need all kinds of explanations, but Tolkien's famous for being like, I, 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 don't, I don't know, and that's kind of where the love of it comes, is because you, you, it's so open to interpretation. In the words of Wade Wilson, well, that's just lazy writing. <laughs> I don't think anyone yeah. can accuse him of being a no, lazy writer. No, he's definitely not lazy. <laughs> in his old languages and whatnot. Okay, nope. let's, let's dig go. into this. Let's dig into cinematography. So I'm going to hit up Justin first. What do you notice for this film this time? Composition, color, camera work. Just a ridiculous amount. Like I don't, even, I don't even know where to start here. Yeah. Um, the extreme differences in, like, okay, when we talk about world building, the extreme differences in colors between when you go to Mordor, when you go to uh, like the Shire, like you, you're in Mordor for the prologue and you see uh, that whole battle and you, you see the ring almost being destroyed. And then, and then you go to the Shire, like this, this happy, bright green place with not, not colorful. Like the, the houses aren't necessarily colorful, but they're, they're not muted. Like they're somewhere in between. They are not Mordor. Uh, and then you go from that to just like green rolling hills to just this this happy, peaceful place. Like it's almost so jarring to contrast those two right at the beginning of the film. Um, and then just throughout the entire movie, the number I started counting and then I stopped because it was too many. The number of wide shots to like establish the land and just the vastness of Middle Earth or New Zealand. It, it's a, it's amazing. And I, I don't know how, how many of those, maybe one of you can tell me, how many of those like structures are actually CGI'd in uh, or if any of them were 
real. I'm not sure. But uh, the first establishing shot of the Fellowship right after they leave uh, Rivendale, they're they're walking kind of on a hill. And they're, yeah, that's they're CGI. Pierced. That's CGI. Okay. I don't know the history of New Zealand, so I wasn't sure like <laughs> if there were any like old ruins there. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's it's almost overwhelming because you completely, like you were so engulfed in this epic tale. Like it, it sucks you right in. At no point do you feel like they're on a set or they're, it's just, it felt authentic all throughout. Corey, what about you? Uh, you know, just a couple things. I think uh, there's a lot of camera movement where it's panning and zooming always. And it's a, it's a sweeping motion. And it's never just like, okay, a quick shot to a quick person. There's always – like it builds the scene. You see the scenery behind and it sweeps to the character. It, you know what I mean? And so in doing that, it's kind of like the world is as important as the character, where we're at, where the location is. The scenery behind, I cannot believe it's a $93 million budget because I feel like this could not have just been green screen, all of this. There's just no way. The stuff they must have built, either they went through a ton of styrofoam or I, I mean, the, artist, <laughs> the artistry on it. And to do that, to fit that into a camera and sweep across it for a split second to go to a, a character and a, a story is amazing. Everything is contrasted. The orcs are dark and dirty and rusty and gross. And I, I mean, I can only imagine they smell. Um, Gimli even does it when one lands on him. He gives it a little <laughs> sniff test and you can tell. Um, I think the best shot of all the things that I saw, the one shot that stands to my head and looks and says, this is camera work. And I swear they took this right out of Highlander, which is a podcast that we, we talked about before. You should go check that out. Is uh, There's a sweeping drone-like motion where it's this. Honestly, it's drone footage before drone footage was invented. This is when he does the the first panning of the orc mines and the moth that goes up to Gandalf. And as this drone view dives down into the orc mines at uh, Saruman's uh, palace. Isengard. Isengard. <laughs> yeah. As it dives down in there and we go past orcs and, and they're moving everywhere. There's characters moving. I mean, the computer graphics on this are amazing. And there's, they're working over here in, in metal. So over here, they're digging up more orc bodies. And over here, they're cutting trees and dropping them down. And then it goes to this moth flying around, and it goes up to the top of Isengard. And here's Gandalf, you know, just having been defeated and grabs the moth, whispers to it, and it flies off. And it's such an amazing sweeping one shot. And it, it reminded me of the Highlander arena fight take. I mean, where <laughs> it was just this amazing camera footage that honestly looked today you'd go oh man that was a great drone whoever did that back then they didn't have that drone so however they did this was amazing yeah andrew i'm gonna give you a chance to jump in here do you have anything specific that you want to talk about cinematography color camera i have a lot to say about those yeah. topics go um, for it mostly camera work um <clears throat> so uh, going back to what uh, Corey said in his intro, the CGI holds up. Justin, I think, mentioned CGI. I would agree for the most part. Like Peter Jackson was a master at using uh, CGI sparingly, which is what uh, it should be um, in the background. Like he, he uses it to like enhance shots, not create shots all the time. Yes, nice. right. So that's my biggest. I get. 
like I was saying before, if I were to just review this movie, it would be nothing but praise. So I was trying to specifically think of critiques, and I would say the cave troll in Balin's tomb CGI. Eh, it's a bit questionable, but that's like my only CGI critique, really. I feel um, so bad for that cave troll. Right. <laughs> um, but in terms of the camera work, um, I paid special attention to close-ups when I was re-watching it, and the vast majority of exposition comes from Gandalf. He's our lore dumper, basically. And uh, a lot of the close-ups are exposition, but also I feel it adds a lot of suspense. And the use of close-ups specifically adding suspense, and you really have to watch it with a purpose to, to find it, because we're often so focused on the action sequences. <laughs> but in terms of, like, this builds suspense, how do you do that to reach the climax? I feel... Like any, most of Frodo and Gandalf's uh, interactions are all close-ups, and it's super zoomed in on Ian McKellen's face when he's given that like it's heard its master's call, and you're shitting your sorry, you're pooping your pants. Sorry, children listening. Um, PG thirteen. PG thirteen. That's my only. That's it's my a PG thirteen movie, so you know. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. Uh, close-ups on Aragorn and Boromir. The facial expressions really builds that, and that's what's important about watching the extended version, is there's more Aragorn and Boromir's relationship, and just the subtle facial expressions they give each other. Uh, that that would be one important use of the close-up. Um, Gandalf versus Saruman, when Saruman is, tr- is playing his hand and trying to convert Gandalf to the evil cause... It zooms in super close to Christopher Lee's eyes and his gnarly eyebrows. I think that's awesome. Um, there's so much. There's so much I could say. Mm-hmm. I feel like Peter Jackson will zoom in to have you focus on what he wants you to see. So the ringwraiths chasing the hobbits at the beginning zooms into super close facial expressions. Uh Aragorn in the Prancing Pony, like it zooms into his eyeballs as it's yep. as it glares off of his cigar. Like that's how he builds the suspense, and I think that adds to like the horror elements, which I'll probably get into later. Um, but yeah, with that zoom, I the only time I ever saw Legolas look scared was the the Balrog demon, and he knew who it was, and right. he zoomed Peter Jackson zoomed in on his face. And it's the first time that I, I never noticed this. The other times I watched this movie, I looked at it this time and I thought, my gosh, Legolas actually looks scared. Like this is, there's no way to defeat this. You know, this foe is beyond all of us. So yeah. it, it just was kind of that. Oh man. If the elf is scared, we better get out of here. Yeah. Right. Speaking of Legolas, as a kid, anytime there is, well, not as a kid, cause I grew up in Arizona, but like, I guess when I was like early twenties, so still kind of a kid. Anytime there was a fresh snow, I would try and walk on the fresh snow like Legolas where he doesn't sink in. <laughs> I would just like step Didn't out. I'm like, I got this. I got this. I got this. Oh, no. Actually, I do have weight. Darn it. Uh, yeah. But as we're here talking about like close-ups, um, I was going to say this for later, but it kind of makes sense. So the ring itself, I I understand in the book it's, it's quite a bit more uh, sore on than it is in the movie, but the ring is like completely uh, anthrop anthrop. Oh, 
Eng- oh, English teacher, help me out. <laughs> anthropomorphic. Yeah. Anthro. I wrote it down. And I even like I heard pronounced Anthropomorphic. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Anthropomorphic. Yes. There you uh, go. It it has like a personality of its own, and yeah. they do a ton of close-ups on that ring to kind of show it influencing yeah. other people, like the Council of Elrond when it yeah. it has the reflection of everyone fighting, like the ring itself that, is controlling Sean. that. I love the scene where, um. Oh shoot! It's it's Bilbo. When Bilbo leaves uh, his his home and he drops the ring on the ground, he like holds it up and his hand is almost like a at ninety degrees, and the ring is like clinging onto him. It looks like it's clinging, and it's then so it, heavy the burden yeah, is so heavy. It, but when it hits but, the ground, like the the sound effect and then the close up to the, just that thud, like yep. it has emotional and physical weight to this thing. Yes. Uh, and, and I just, I love throughout, like you can hear like those little whispers every single time it's like influencing someone and it, yeah. it is a character unto itself and it gets the close up treatment in the same way that it does. Every hand that does. reached for it, every hand that reached for it and got close to touching it, there was a little sound and a, a pull and a, just a two, three second, like hand moving slowly mm-hmm. and they never got to touch it, which is why it goes back to hearken to where, uh, Gandalf wasn't actually t- picking up the ring when he's sitting there sitting at the fire. He waits and Bilbo just comes or uh, Frodo comes in and just picks it up. Yeah. And Gandalf smiles because it's like, now I don't have to touch it. So I kind of feel like. See, I, I almost took that more of like Bilbo or Gandalf doesn't trust himself because he himself is so powerful. So he doesn't yes, want absolutely. to be tempted. He yep. And I, I almost saw him as like sad when Frodo came in and picked up the ring, almost like, oh no. Hmm. Like he has picked up the mantle on Willsley. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But I, yeah, My I turn. love that. I love that scene. Sorry. Greg. Sorry. Yeah, I know. Okay. You guys picked out a lot of stuff that I was going to pick out as well, but I want to start with composition because I thought there was some amazing composition at the beginning of the film where uh, Gladiel's doing the exposition about how they got the rings. Starting with, you have the triangle of the three elves standing. So they're not like, Galadriel is in the is in the foreground, so she's the only one in focus, which I thought was really interesting, especially because she's obviously the most important to our story, and she's the only one of those I'm assuming uh, that remains the ring's keeper to this point. Uh, you also have, I think, what's really interesting is that the the men ring bearers who become the the ring wraiths are kind of in a V shape with the witch king right in the middle. Like they're the only ones that kind of have an aggressive stance as they're being shown, because uh, you also see the 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 dwarves and it's they're very circular and it's you know it's top down bird's eye view and that they're very much unity for that. Justin, you wanted to say something? Yeah. While we're on the topic, Andrew, our resident Lord of the Rings expert, why were different races given different amounts of rings? Like, why did the men get the most? Um, there were just more kingdoms of men than there were dwarf kingdoms. Uh, they were all designed to corrupt and take power, basically corrupt the minds of all. But dwarves, dwarves are basically, we don't care that much. We just want to dig for metal. And that's really all dwarves cared about. Um, humans, they gave more rings. There's more kingdoms and men are the most susceptible to falling for the power. And, uh, the elves, that was like the first batch, uh, the three rings were the first batch and there was really only like three big elf kingdoms at the time. Um, gotcha. and oh, what was I going to say? Um, uh, yeah. So men are super susceptible to it, which is why, uh, the hobbits are basically the best ring bearers is because yep. the hobbits don't really care 
And when Sam gets the, I know I'm jumping the gun and this is lore, not movie, but when Sam gets the ring from Frodo in Return of the King, he gives it back to Frodo because he's basically just like, I don't care about power. I just want to go home to the Shire and garden and drink beer. And that's basically <laughs> what the Hobbits are all about. That's, that's why they're so wanted. There you go. I might be a Hobbit. Sorry, Craig, for the interruption. Uh, I just, no, that's fine. That's no, that's I, fine. I'm, I'm going to have you, a lot of my lore questions answered. This is tonight. why Andrew's here. Um, but but continuing with the with the composition, the the Council of Elrond is also circular, which I thought was interesting. Yes. So basically, everyone has equal standing as far as the members go. Um, I love that you brought up the reflection in the ring. I had that too, uh, Justin. Uh, as far as cam work goes, yeah, tons and tons of close ups. Um, extreme close up on Galadriel's eyes when she talks about when he was seeing the eye. I thought that was a great uh, a great shot. Lots of force that perspective. Scared me. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, this is not the thing. I the thing that I think is genius. And Andrew, you mentioned this too, like that he used that Jackson used CGI sparingly. A lot of the effects as far as differentiating the heights of the different characters is done just from force perspective. I mean, that's, that's, that's what, I mean, that's why he's doing, you know, Gandalf and Frodo's face. So he doesn't have to show that one is significantly taller than the other, but he's also using, you know, extreme high, extreme uh, high angle and extreme low angle to kind of show them um, at different, different heights where you kind of take on you know, you're feel like you're looking down on on frodo because the camera is looking down on him for instance uh so i thought yeah. that was just used in a, just a genius way for the, for the cinematography yeah amazing though yeah. like like well the scene where the, like bilbo is serving they are Gandalf not the, at the table yeah yeah the, the fact that like they are not the same or that they are roughly the same size in real life you you never second guess that in the movie, I don't even think it's they're a not, They're not squeezing that out. That's just a child actor from a different <laughs> side, right? That wasn't. Well, yeah, they used lots doubles. of different things because there was body yeah. doubles too. Yeah, uh, so but it's all done also so well that it's just it's so seamless. I don't yeah. even think it's to tell the two towers. It's the scene where uh, Mary and Pippin are the Rohirrim are like attacking the orcs, and Mary and Pippin are running away. That is the first time where I'm just like, oh. That looks fake. Everything else yeah. is flawless. The first yeah. time the fellowship yeah. all stands together, I think that's you. You really it. have to look the, the short guys in the front. That, yeah, you, that pushes you, it for me. You really got to look, but you can, if you really look, you can see it. Like when they enter Lorien or Lothlorien, the forest of Galadriel, you can see like that. That doesn't look like Pippin. Like you can tell it's a kid. Uh, yeah. When they go to Bree, you can. There's like a super fat Hobbit, and it's like that's supposed to be Sam, but no, he, looks, <laughs> he looks too fat yeah. for that. The proportions then, um, are off. I saw oh, one also night, when. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no! Just in watching it yesterday, I saw one that I had never seen before. After Frodo gets stabbed by the cave troll in Balin's tomb, he's laying face down on the ground, and Aragorn crawls on all fours to turn him over. And right before he turns him over, it's a wooden doll, and I had never noticed that <laughs> until last night. So I thought that nice. was pretty interesting. Oh, no, that that was one I picked out too. Is like when after he gets stabbed, he gets stabbed a lot in this, uh, by the Ringwraith, and then he's being carried on horseback to Rivendell. It's like very clearly like a doll on that horse, uh, with Liv Tyler. Like it, yeah, it's it's not moving in the way a human would move. Yeah, I have two more. This is what oh. happens with all four of us. This, this is an epic tale. This is how so, Sorry, I'm, Craig. Hey, this is a three-hour, 48 the movie. It's going to be a three-hour, 48-minute no, podcast. No kidding. All right, here's my last exactly. two, and then we'll talk about I'm the sound. I'm going to need an intermission. Uh, stop it, Justin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in, in the scene, and Andrew alluded to it earlier, the scene where, where Saruman kind of plays his hand um, 
with Gandalf. There are some earlier clues just based on camera because it starts going Dutch angle with a 45 degree angle looking at Saruman where you're like, hey, things are not quite right. Things are a little bit off, which I noticed this time. I thought that was was pretty great. And then I have to mention the dolly zoom when Frodo senses the Nazgul coming down the road. Yes. Yes. An amazing shot. Just it's so creepy how it just kind of bends in all circular. It's very supernatural. Uh, and it's first person perspective too. Like we're looking at what Frodo was seeing. And I just I always loved that shot. First yeah. time I saw that scene at home on DVD, I I rewound it three or four times because I was like, what is happening here? Like I, I didn't have the understanding to know how they did that. And that was just so amazing to me. Yeah. So this gets into my uh, earlier point in my intro. The Fellowship has all the elements of stories, including horror. And I think, you know, Peter Jackson, he, he made a couple indie horror movies before he made the trilogy. And I feel like Fellowship is the only movie of the three that actually is scary. Like, Two right. Towers and uh, Return of the King, they're scary in that you're, everyone's going to die. It's It's the end, right? But, like, Fellowship is... You're you're with your buddies and you're creeping through the woods and there's guys coming after you. Like to me, that's scarier than like all men are gonna die. So yeah. the dolly zoom, the Hitchcock zoom in the forest, them hiding under the tree with the ring wraith sniffing, and all the bugs are trying to get away because the bugs are scared of the ring wraith. I feel like that's the only movie of the three that really captures the horror aspect. And and once they get to Moria. It's just the the drums in the deep. It's it's super scary. And Bilbo or that scene like, where, where Gollum is being tortured. When, yeah, yeah. Gollum's torture scene when Bilbo's like, "Oh, my old ring. Let me see that." And then he's like, ah! like that's that's super scary. The giant spider in the third one might be the scariest thing I've ever seen. That's <laughs> that was that's yeah. it for me. I close okay. my eyes. Sound. Sound. Justin. Oh. Sound effects. Soundtrack. Okay, sounds. so I, I kind of already talked about sound effects a little bit with the ring. I just yes, I love, you did. I don't like that tone, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't know we were on a clear regimen here. No, we're fine. Um, anyway, the sound the ring makes anytime it is dropped or influencing anyone, it's just it's just so it's just so cool. Um, and then just the score in general, like how Howard Shore is that? Is that who does yes. that? Oh, yeah, the music. You do the music thing. Um, it, I think, more so than any other movie, the music influences or the soundtrack influences what you're feeling. I can't think of a movie where the music is more influential, like even more so than Star Wars. Watch it. Might be uh, a hot uh, take. I agree. I mean, the Imperial March is iconic, but like the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, it, it's it's so good. It adds to all of it. It adds to the emotions, the emotionality. You got to have emotionality in your movies. Well, even even to the point where, okay, so I was I was like listening to the soundtrack uh, one morning, and my three year old son walks in, and the the sound or the the song or the bleh, the track that was playing was. Um, like the Isengard theme or like the orc theme. I, they kind of Caverns of Isengard. Yeah. Yeah. And my three-year-old son walks in, he goes, Ooh, that's a bad song. Ooh, bad guys. <laughs> and like, yes, just knows 
innately that that is like for bad people. The drums. Um, so from the hearts, from the mouths of babes. Yes. Yes. No. I I love this soundtrack with all my heart. Um. That's all I got there, Craig. You yeah. can. Do you want to go next, Craig? I know we, nah, we kind of shafted you earlier. It's fine. I'll 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 wrap. Corey, what do you got? Well, I I mean we've kind of covered the ring, which was stealing my thunder, and we talked about some parts of the soundtrack. There's only a couple songs on there that I'm real bold, like the the main theme, and I, I absolutely love those. But I think when I look at this, I'm gonna say this the the sound parts that get me anything with Gandalf. I absolutely love his voice. I love his tones. I love everything about him from start to finish in the entire trilogy, his voice and how he talks. That guy could motivate me to do anything and everything like, okay, we're charging headfirst into this danger. Oh, Gandalf said it. I'm going. I'm motivated just because of it. Like his, And then when he's having that heart-to-heart moments with Frodo, which is my quotes that we're going to share here in a bit, is, I mean, just how he has a softness in his voice. But then you go back to the Shire when he's yelling at Bilbo and uh, do not take me for a conjurer of cheap tricks, voice booming power. And the, the, I don't know whether it's a dolly zoom on that or just a darkening. I watched that scene about 10 times. That voice trick they did there was amazing. And then you turn around and go back to thou shall not pass where he's doing that yelling voice. So any part with him, his voice, and vocal sounds was absolutely a tremendous part of this. And then I could have used some more conversations from Legolas. I love uh, Aragorn's voice too. Like just having him talk and yell things uh, was, was amazing too. I, I think, but what it comes down to is just these actors embracing this role and committing to this a hundred percent into who that character is and building that character. And I think you can't just, you can't just have someone do that and build that trilogy. I mean, this was a perfect casting. Everybody, because you tell, I tell you what, could you picture Pippin's voice as Sam? No, you can't. He's too happy of a voice. It's too cheery. It's too British. You know, uh, you can't picture him second breakfast and I'm with you to the end, you know, Frodo. I mean, you can't, you can't see that, but you know, so it's, I love it. It's great. Those I think those they're all perfectly cast on the vocal sounds. Andrew, we're on sound, correct? We are on sound, yeah, yeah. Um, you want to talk about the score? You want to talk about sound effects? Well, like we said earlier, it's like I have nothing bad to say about this movie. Uh, Howard yeah. Shore is amazing. Uh, the soundtrack is amazing. The only thing I would add, I guess, it just goes back to my previous point of building suspense when Frodo. Uh, when Gandalf leaves to go investigate the ring and Frodo goes back to his house after he's had a night out with the lads and his doors open and it's pitch black in his house. Just the, the music, the, the creepy aesthetic and the music and then Gandalf bum, bum, and his hand comes out like he's very good at uh, adding to the suspense with that. And, you know, when the when the hobbits are in uh, the prancing pony and the ring wraiths come in and the screeching of the ring wraiths, oh, yes. like so ooh, good. that's it's ear piercing. I can hear it like, right ah! now. Yeah, so you can hear you can hear it. And when the ring wraiths go into the prancing pony and they stab the beds, like that's like oh sh- oh geez, uh, 
all of that's good yes. when the Balrog comes out and Gandalf, I am the wielder of the secret fire, you know, wielder of the flame of honor. Uh, it's so good. Um, yeah, Howard Shore's a genius. It couldn't you be just, better. You just gave me like goosebumps, Andrew. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I love could... I love that scene so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, whenever Gollum is on screen, it's that creepy vibe. Um, him even talking. He doesn't really talk in the fellowship. But, uh, yeah, just the voices, like Gandalf's booming voices. Um, when when Arwen, I, in the book, it's not Arwen. It's uh, Glorfindel. But, yeah, when mm. Arwen is like, talking to the horse her asphaloth and she makes it across the the brewing in and calls the water down like all that all that's amazing it's so cool yes I mean, this this is a movie that's very hard to to pull out specific things because it's just so great all the way through so trying to pick out specific things is, is, is rough because it's all really good uh, i would just add the uh the continual banging down the well of the skeleton that Pippin drops. It, it just keeps going and seeing yeah. the behind the scenes stuff of how they made that. That looked like they had quite a bit of fun. making that. Um, so great. Uh, but yeah, the soundtrack, like I'm going to have a hard time saying that Howard Shore did a better job than John Williams did, but it's, it's right there. Like that might be how one. one, a, <laughs> one, one a. It. I said I will it right. You can, you right, can say right, it. That's fine. Hate mail. Do it. That's fine. I will say that I, when I teach kids about leitmotif, that I, there's a great video um, Nerdwriter did on YouTube that I, I show them that illustrates what Howard Shore did because uh, it's fantastic. Uh, especially, I mean, you've got the Shire theme, which immediately is upbeat and joyful, and like you can, you can hear, you guys can hear that right now. I know you can. Um, the Fellowship theme, though, is just so good, and it's so versatile that sometimes it's kind of sad and melancholy, and then when it comes in triumphant, like when the you see them coming up the hill together, like all nine of them there. It's fantastic. Or when they swing in like a battle scene, like, yes, let's go do this. I'm ready to go and kill some orc. That's so good. The, we, Justin, you mentioned that the Urukai theme is, is great. The, even the Rivendell theme is super mysterious and just, it's, it absolutely adds tons and tons of layers to, uh, to the scenes and pulls you in. It helps with the, the immersion of that. I did want to point out, um, that there is some diegetic music, thankfully much less than there is in the book, because that is one of the surprising things. For those of you who have not read Lord of the Rings, if you go back and read it, you're like, why is everyone singing? Because there's a lot of singing as they're walking, because there's also a lot of walking. Um, but you do start, well, you know, with Gandalf singing, the road goes ever on and on. You've got the Hobbit's drinking song in there, the Wood Elves singing as they're walking through the forest. That song puts me to sleep, that Wood Elf song. Yeah. Oh, I that think is it's sleepy time to. music. Uh, no, Aragorn it's not bad. Sing- it's not boring. It's just call me. Yeah, Aragorn singing the the what is it the the song of Baron and Luthien, which mm. I understand um, Viggo Mortensen actually co-wrote that song that he's doing, oh. um, which is it's fantastic. But I, I mentioned this too that the Galadriel voiceover at the beginning that just when I saw that he had used that, I thought that was just such a brilliant way to bring in the audience because yes, it, there's a ton of world building that has to be done. And if you've not read the books, you don't have any clue that this is you know, the third age and there's a massive history uh, to, to this universe. I mean, it goes on. I, I counted this time. It's seven and a half minutes, which is a long stinking time. But I'm not bored at any point. I'm just like, yes, please tell me more. Thank you. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Elrond recounting how Isildur didn't, you know, he's like, throw it into the castle in the fire or whatever, and he refuses. 
works. Flashbacks sometimes are overused and, and lazy, but here I was like, yes, that's exactly what I wanted to see and exactly what I wanted to hear. I'm always well, so surprised the- when I watch the movie because I always remember that being in the prologue, the the part where Elrond is telling him to throw it into the fire. Me too. And then every time the prologue's over, I'm just like, but we skipped that part. Oh, it's it's later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, in the movie, yeah, absolutely. The prologue is the perfect hook because you get arguably the most epic battle of like all Lord of the Rings. You could you could argue Helm's Deep, you could argue Minas Tirith, but like the War of the Ring, the Last Alliance, that's the biggest in terms of scale. So we don't really we get a little bit of that. But if you know the lore, it's it's such a huge epic battle, and having Galadriel like voicing the exposition over that is just perfect. Well, I guess they. Uh, if you guys ever watch movies on Prime, I really like it because it gives you like little show notes on the side. I guess originally they actually had Gandalf do the prologue, uh, but they decided that Galadriel probably would have been the only one like alive during that time or there during that time. Yeah. So they went. They went with her. Uh, one more thing for me. Well, I don't want to end it for you guys, but for me on uh, sound is the part where all men cried, where Boromir dies. The music, as he's fighting off, like protecting uh, their getaway, as he's fighting them off, the the music is like swelling and it's building up. And then he gets hit with an arrow and boom, immediately all the music stops. And like it makes you feel the emotional impact of that moment. And then between the first and second arrow, it's it's about seven seconds, and the music starts to swell again, and then the second arrow hits, and it immediately stops again. And I, I don't recall if it does it for the third arrow, but it, like, the, the stopping of the music corresponds with that arrow hitting so well that it, it, it leaves such an emotional impact on the viewer as well. And just poor... Poor Boromir. That poor guy. He just yep. wants to make his dad happy. Oh, don't even get me started on Boromir. <laughs> I didn't like him. I didn't. Oh, no, oh. I'm kidding. You can't help but root for him at the end. Oh, the yeah. pressure he's uh, under. Likeable character. I, I tell you this. The thing about Boromir is that I absolutely love this, and I did not know this and catch on to this till it was on TV last week. I was watching The Martian, and uh, Sean Bean is in The Martian. Yeah, and there's a reference to Project Elrond in mm-hmm. the Martian movie, and Sean Bean is in Project Elrond. He's in pro- in that scene, and he's also in the Martian scene when they're talking about Project Elrond. And so it was kind of a great little like tagline, like he's sitting at the table in that scene, and he's sitting in the Council of Elrond. So it was a great little. I don't know, just a nugget behind the scenes That's that fine. everybody, you know, deep does, fans like us. Does he die in the Martian? No. No, he does not. He's That's playing not a golf. True not like no, it's not. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. We should do that at some point. He gets fired. Uh, so per- That's like dying. He gets to go play golf. It's fine. Um, so, and performance. The one thing I want to say from the top, and then I'll let you guys um, jump in with your bits of dialogue, because I think we can all agree that, di- that the acting is fantastic in this. It's just wonderful. Um, which it would have to be to to sell this ridiculous, fantastical world. The performances would have to be just top notch. Uh, the thing I noticed this time that I thought was I'd never noticed before is that when the elves talk, they have this like echoey, kind of otherworldly sound when they're speaking. It's just Do a they? cool little touch. Is that yeah. just the wood elves or all of the elves? Um, I think it might just be the Lothlorien elves. Legolas doesn't do it, but when they're in Lothlorien, it's yeah, I think. Like, uh, sorry, I'm, 
I'm blanking. Can you elaborate? So what's the, okay? Who's the guy who says? Because one of my favorite lines is, you know, if um, the dwarf breathed so loud, we could have shot him in the dark. Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> How dear of Lori. How dear. That's one of my favorite lines. I He's love so that. That's that's a sarcastic. bonus. Breathe so loud, we could have shot him in the dark. Okay. Um, mm. Lines of dialogue. So we're just gonna go like a couple. We'll start Justin, oh, Corey, Andrew, me. I know. Okay. So Justin, give me just just give me one. Okay. Well, just. <sighs> Just want to start me like this. All right, <laughs> I say this at least once a week, Andrew. You hear me say it often. I'm old. I know I don't look it, but I'm beginning to feel it in my heart. I feel thin, mm. stretched. I feel like butter spread over too much bread. Butter. <laughs> oh, I feel butter. that every day. <laughs> I'm old. Ah, <laughs> uh, Corey. I, I don't know. I just. All I, right. Oh, Bilbo's an entire mood. I love that man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I. I'm going with this, and it's somewhere. I at some point I'm going to have a microphone in my hand. I'm going to have a speech where I can give this, oh. and it's Bilbo's speech. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. Everybody <laughs> like, up! I love that dialogue. I love his delivery. I love that line. It is the absolute best. I love some of you and slap some of you in the face. Yeah, yeah. It, it characterizes and Bilbo so well in contrast yes. to the rest to, of the hobbits. To add to that, in the actual lore in the book, he only invites exactly fifty percent of the Shire to his birthday party. <laughs> oh, even better. The rest of them. Sh- well, it, yeah, he briefly mentions anyway. that, right? Who, is, who says? Is it Frodo that says that? Frodo tells oh. Gandalf he invited half of the Shire. Yeah, and the other and half. The other show half. Anyway. So anyway, yeah. Andrew, do you have a favorite line from the movie, or one of your uh, many one, favorite lines? Just one. Just, we'll just start. We'll do a couple rounds. All right. Well, it's probably a tie because they're basically this. They're very similar. When Aragorn is talking to Frodo at Amon Hen at the seeing seat, and then when Boromir is talking to Aragorn. So I'm going to get a two for even though you only said one. That's when fine. Aragorn <laughs> tells Frodo, you know, would you destroy it? And he's like, I would have gone with you to the end into the very fires of Mordor. And then when Boromir is dying and says, I would have followed you to the end, my brother, my captain, my king is so powerful oh, and yeah. i think boromir's death like we often think oh yeah he's he saved mary and pippin that's good but i think boromir's death in that line convinces aragorn to Ooh. actually take up his mantle of king because mm-hmm. if he can convince boromir who's basically the leader of the gondorian armies to follow him then he can convince anybody and so when boromir is like i would have followed you my king he's like all right i guess i gotta do this now yeah that's no that's a a great yeah that's a great take because earlier he says you know gondor has no king gondor needs no king so he that's he's done a 180 on that so i think that's an that's an excellent read uh, on that it's what makes boromir the most relatable character in my opinion yeah Mm -hmm. well sure what what would the rest of us have done yeah probably what he did uh, I'm going to pull out uh, an earlier one uh, where Gandalf pulls Sam into the window and says, what did you hear? Speak. And Sam says, nothing, nothing important. That is, I heard a good deal about a ring and a dark lord and something about the end of the world. But please, Mr. Gandalf, sir, don't hurt me. Don't turn me into anything unnatural. It's like you <laughs> yep. heard literally everything. I also love yeah. how the hobbits are all just like slightly scared of Gandalf. Like you get that throughout the film that they like yeah. respect him, but they're like, I don't really know what this guy can do. <laughs> No. Yeah. And yeah, they're very terrifying. nosy people. I, I have to jump in. I have to say another one because Corey Go mentioned it. it earlier oh. when Gandalf is talking to Frodo in Moria. When I first saw the movie as a child, 
I absolutely identified with Frodo when he's like, it's a pity Bilbo didn't kill him when he had the chance. It's like, mm. heck yeah, kill that, kill Gollum, who cares? But then when Gandalf is like, no, he was meant to have the ring, Bilbo was meant to have the ring, you're meant to have the ring, and that's an encouraging thought. Like, there's more to work in this world than just evil. Like, it's easy yeah. to see evil, but, like, there's something that's pulling you, Frodo, and you're meant to destroy this. That whole scene, that whole five-minute dialogue is where there is so much wisdom in this movie. And I feel like you get it there. Everything else you have to pull out, Boromir's redemption arc, I think, Aragorn's rise to power arc, all of those arcs you have to pull out. But that is just where the wisdom is flat-out said and spoken mm -hmm. in five minutes of dialogue because that's my next quote was uh, when Frodo said, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf says, and I think I have thought about this line so many times in my life since this movie where Gandalf says, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us where mm -hmm. life is 98% reaction, yep. just reacting to what's going on and just, all you get to do is decide how you're going to react and what you're going to do with it. So I, there's so much wisdom in that. Yeah, I and even have another that bit in the book? from that. Is that in the book or is that a Peter Jackson? No, that's in there. That's in there. Oh, so, so one good. of my favorite lines came come from that little talk between Gandalf and Frodo too, and I wrote it down as he said it, so it might not be word for word, but he said, "Do not be so eager to deal out death and judgment. Even the very wise cannot see both ends." And I think that so regularly yeah. that I just like make snap decisions on people. And I feel like as a teacher, we have to do that often. You, you make snap decisions on coworkers, you make snap decisions on students. And then as the year progresses, you learn that, oh, I should not have made those assumptions. Like, like, like Gandalf says, like, even the very wise cannot see both ends. Yeah. Um, I just, that, yeah, what Corey said, that whole conversation is just so deep. Yeah. And I, I know I'm jumping the gun, but in it echoes, it, it's like poetry, it rhymes. In Return of the King, when he's talking to Pippin, and Pippin's like, we're gonna die, aren't we? And Gandalf's like, yeah, but it's just another path, man. We're, we're, right. we'll, we'll go on. It's so good. All right. That's Great. fantastic. Yeah, I'm gonna throw, we're running a little shy on time, so I'm gonna throw my last one out, and then we're gonna move to the next part. Um, this is, I love the end of the film. Where Legolas says, first, I'm just at the whole last conversation, says, hurry, Frodo and Sam reach the eastern shore. And then he takes a beat and says, you mean not to follow them? And Aragorn says, Frodo's fate is no longer in our hands. And then Gimli kind of goes, there's the down note. He says, then it's all been in vain. The fellowship has failed. And Aragorn has this amazing speech where he says, not if we hold true to each other. We will not abandon Merry and Pippin to torment and death. Not while we have strength left. Leave all that can be spared behind. We travel light. Let's hunt some orc. And I'm getting chills right now. I'm like, heck yeah, let's go do this right now. Just what yeah. Gimli's all of us at that point. Yes. And we're like, okay, because it does it on a cliffhanger, but it's also like, oh, yes, I'm pumped as I'm walking out of the theater. I know the next one's going to start epically. Yep. Yeah. And it does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It literally yes. hits the ground running with those guys. Well, <laughs> my, my first reaction is why don't you go help Frodo? Frodo's going into hell, basically. So why aren't you going with Frodo? But. Aragorn knows that he can't follow Frodo because he will fall right. to the power of the ring. And Merry and Pippin are about to get eaten alive by orcs. So it's like, we have to go save them first and maybe we'll see Frodo again one day, but we can't help Frodo any more than we already have. Yeah, right. Yeah, Andrew explained that to me the other day because I always thought, yeah, why doesn't he go after Frodo? At least like provide some backup. And to reiterate what you said, yeah, it's because he's worried that he cannot 
protect Frodo from yeah. himself. And then ultimately you see that in Return of the King that the best way they can help Frodo is to be a distraction. Right? So that they mm. know what, that Sauron has no idea. Yeah. Um, so body language, facial expressions, costumes, hair, and makeup. We're just going to kind of fly through this quick. I, I do want to point out just, just one more thing. Again, nerd writer. Just amazing YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed to that channel, he has a great video about Ian McKellen's eyes. It's just Google that it, or put that in YouTube. It's fantastic because he does so much acting with his eyes. Um, and I thought also that Elijah Woods, because there's many people that were up for this part, like his enormous eyes had to have been a big factor in casting that guy. Yeah. Because they're just enormous, big part of his face. There's a lot of zoomed in shots with the ring wearing him down and with his eyes. So the eyes have to be part because you got to be able to act all that. You can't just, you know, have someone just squint. I mean, he he does such a good job. Yeah, I think uh, to build on what we've already kind of said with Gandalf's extreme close ups, uh, when the ring specifically talks and Gandalf kind of looks at it, um, builds the suspense. Um Super close-ups of Gandalf's face with the exposition dumps. He's, I would agree. He, yeah, he he acts a lot with his eyes for sure. Um, you can see the pain on his face. You can see the happiness on his face when Bilbo is. I like less than half of you as well as you like, and you know he's. It zooms on him <laughs> and he's smiling and smoking. So yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, uh, body language. I wrote this in here, Craig, because facial expressions. I wrote this in here because I got to point this out. That one part where I talked about Legolas showing, Legolas showing fear when Gandalf says Balrog. Yeah. yeah. And the reason that stood out to me is because then when they go to the Woodland Elves, Legolas points out he's the one. We finally get like a longer dialogue from him where he goes and talks about that it was Balrog that took Gandalf down. And it was kind of a... I felt like it was a moment in that his expression was explained. There's fear here. And he didn't just say Gandalf fell. He's like, Gandalf fell to Balrog as if all the other elves would be going, oh, shoot, a Balrog. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Like, Absolutely. Lucky all of you are still here. And so I feel like that body language and facial expression he did has a payoff. I love that payoff. It always comes back. And they, they do it in the woodland by having Legolas explain that, not Aragorn or someone else. That's that's nice. I like that. Uh, I I wanted to say too just how much I appreciate how much Gandalf's look is completely authentic to everything we'd seen in illustrations. Like he looks like he stepped right off the pages of the book yeah. with his pointy hat and the beard and the cloak and all of those things. The and Sauron costume this time just really struck me as just so impressive. It's just amazingly detailed and just it's am and then the Nazgul armor is kind of a derivative of that. I thought that was kind of a cool take that it looks like it's made from the same material so just the extreme attention to detail on all of the costumes like uh, there's a lot of continuity errors in this thing but that aside what 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 are you talking about time travel um it there's a lot of like oh this person's holding a shield in this scene and the next scene he's not holding a shield oh. or uh, come on now Andrew Andrew there are mistakes in this that's film. not a continuity mm -hmm. error like that's that's just like oh a slight oversight I mean that's it, it continuity how, that's what that's uh, what that hey, is listen, it Frodo depends though on how they're off and then yeah. in the how they're editing Haven, though they he's got it back they might but, not be editing for they're not editing for that kind of stuff they're editing for like emotional takes too I've yeah. heard that's that's a that's an intentional choice that you're looking at maybe the 
performance that I got from the actors was more what I was looking for. So I, I wasn't that digging the movie. I have nothing Jeez, negative Justin, to say. It's fine. Why do you hate this movie? I feel a little picked on. I love this movie. <laughs> I love it so much. Two things. I just wanted to say I liked all the costumes, and I think they were wonderful. We've talked about in other episodes that I like movies where costumes feel lived in, and yes. this feels lived in. It looks Absolutely. like Gimli has like fought in that armor. It looks like Strider has been on the road for weeks. Like It yeah. looks real. We also got to highlight the costumes for the orcs because I'm going to tell you they are tremendous. A lot of those orcs look the same, so I don't know if they use the same guy for multiple shots, but but their their costumes and everything, how dirty they look and filthy yeah. they look and greasy and oh my gosh, it, uh, it doesn't look like a guy in a mask either. No, like it that does looks not. like an actual creature. There's a famous internet picture of the guy who shoots Boromir standing outside the lot with uh, some little kid. I think it was a cast member's daughter who's probably 10 standing next to this giant orc of a man, you know, and they're all smiling. And I thought, oh my gosh. And then in the movie, you know, they just, they do it so well, those costumes, those makeup. And then the last thing I'd point out on costumes, can Frodo's fingernails be any more disgusting? <laughs> That's Especially the, I with all notice the that too. They're short. short. Yeah. If they're, they're long, they're gross, but they're oh, very short. I, I, he must have sat there and just chewed on those all the time. No <laughs> one bought clippers for the poor kid. I mean, it was. And uh, I don't know if those were his actual man. fingers or if they looked and found someone, but he has golem fingers. I mean, that is just. <laughs> they're filthy. Do you, yeah. do you guys remember uh, like 2015, 2016? There was talk about like, oh, how do we enhance the movie going experience? And they talked about like adding smells to films. Oh, <laughs> and every time I heard that, I'm like, oh, I just thought of the no. orcs, and I'm like, nah, this I'm good. movie would stink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do not so, uh, need a smelly movie. My my only thing, I guess, for uh, you know, costumes, hair, and makeup, uh, the prosthetics, the use of. Again, going back to the sparing use of CGI with the use of practical effects and prosthetics, that will always and forever be superior to just pure CGI. Like, my biggest complaint about modern movies is like, hey, let's green screen. Even The Hobbit, even Peter Jackson's The Hobbit is all green screen, it's all CGI, and it looks awful. So, sparing use of CGI with prosthetics, the orcs are all prosthetic, uh... You know, the Hobbit's feet, it's all prosthetic. A lot of the stuff is prosthetic. And that is the that is the way to go. It costs more. But see, the prices for CGI these days are so high. Yeah. It seems like, you know, this would be cheaper. Um, so yeah, practical effects all the way. I think for an actor, you get a better better role out of them. They act better because they see actual yeah. things versus it's just a green camera. sheet. Yeah. If you watch, if you listen to our Aquaman episode, you can hear how much I love CGI sunsets. Oh, that's true. And The Hobbit does a lot of those. Yeah. I love The Hobbit. Okay. Uh, Setting the design. We've talked about a lot of this stuff already, honestly. Um, Obviously, we've talked about New Zealand. It was filmed in various locations across New Zealand. Uh, I love the fact that Hobbiton is essentially a real place that they actually Mm -hmm. built that. That's amazing. And then, you know, that you had, we talked about this difference in scale that I think it's that the hallway there, they built like two versions of it. That's how you get like, there's a bigger version that um, in um, what's his name in home as Bilbo walks through. And then there's a different one that Ian McKellen walks through. It's, it's identical except for the scale. And that's why it looks small for Gandalf and bigger for Bilbo. It's just another, again, practical effect instead of doing yeah. a CGI thing. Yeah. In terms of CGI though, the Balrog, Every time I watch this, I try and like find fault with what he with how he looks. 
and he is flawless. Like, I don't think they could do a better job today. He looks amazing. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Great detail. Yeah. Uh, I would say uh, this uh, has got to be, of all the movies of all time, number one movie in world building. I mean, the entire world that they build and travel through the whole trilogy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, there, it, even Star Wars, with all the galaxies and worlds they go to, does not match this level of world building. Well, I would say, you know, that connects to set decoration, too. Like, everything in in Bag End looks used, right? And oh. like, I, that's a place, like, I would want to visit there. There's, you know, books and papers everywhere. The, the food, it, look, it looks delicious. I bet that place actually probably smells good. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I love the circular doorways. I mean, because I remember that there's, you know, the very famous line. I think it's it's, it's from The Hobbit. It's, it's I think it's from The Hobbit. Like, he lived in a hole in the ground, but not a dirty, filthy Hobbit. That's... <laughs> That's the Hobbit, right? Not, not yeah, yeah. That's not fellowship, but it's that image of like, yeah, he lives in a hole in the ground because it's circular or whatever, and it's like, yeah, that's just their architecture they have. Uh, that's the way they do. Yeah. Um, I was trying, I was racking my brain for critiques of the fellowship because I didn't want to just praise it all night. the The one thing I would critique is, you know, in the books, uh, when Frodo gets the ring from Bilbo, he doesn't actually leave the Shire for a very long time, like a decade. And that in that time, Gandalf is traveling all over trying to figure out if this is the ring of if this is the one ring or not. So my one critique is like when Gandalf goes on his journey, it shows Minas Tirith. You don't know what that is yet if you don't know the <clears> lore. <throat> and it's like, where's that? What What is that? And then he goes to Isengard. You don't know where that is. So that was a critique is like, you don't really know where these things are. But as you watch the trilogy, you learn to know where they are. But which is another critique against that Ebert review where it's like, I think Justin mentioned it at the beginning is like, oh, it leaves on a cliffhanger. It's like, no, it doesn't. Not if you know Not the really. story. <laughs> yeah, that's I true. Guess, I, remember I guess when I, that- when I first saw it, I was really disappointed not knowing like I, I had seen trilogies before, but they're always self-contained. But yeah, as it just ends with Frodo and Sam walking, I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> hey, I want more. I didn't I didn't know that as a kid. I, I didn't read yeah. it until after watching it. But yeah, that was my one thing is like, you don't know. And that's. A, a ring of pa- rings of power critique I have is they fast travel, and when Gandalf is doing his thing, he fast travels, and it makes it seem like Frodo's had the ring for like a couple days, but in the book, he's, he's had it for years and years and years. Yeah, passing of time is not always clear in that movie. Yeah, so we're running really long on time, so I'm going to kind of fly through a couple of things. Uh, we mentioned as far as props, the One Ring, of course. Um, I love that the Red Book of Westmarch is in this. That's it's cool because it's you know it's essentially it's a frame story. Um, I want to skip. Oh yeah, let's see. Uh, yeah, that's pretty all I wanted to talk about. That for characters, um, what I found that there's in, a, in, a, in another universe there's an absolutely bonkers version of this movie as far as cast goes. Because yeah, Elijah Wood could have been Jake Gyllenhaal, which that's fairly fairly normal. But we could have had you know Ian McKellen obviously plays Gandalf. We, Sean Connery was approached, but said no, which is kind of sad. Patrick Stewart turned it down. Those are both kind of make sense. You, you see any of those guys doing that? No. Uh, but when you start getting to like Viggo Mortensen, we almost got Daniel Day-Lewis turned it down, but oh. Nicolas Cage Nicolas was offered Cage. to play. Yes, yeah. please. I would like that. Are you serious? No. I'm serious? No. You just no. said how much you hated, uh, what was it, Face Off. That's a different thing. Okay, you so want we got Nicholas Cage as, as no, hey, Aragorn. This is the this is I want the most bonkers version ever. So you got Nicholas Cage uh, as 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 uh, 
Aragorn. We're going to have uh, James Corden playing Samwise. Uh, we're going to have Bruce Willis <laughs> playing Boromir, because that was a possibility at one point. Nice. For Frodo! I mean, what do you, <laughs> what do, you like, do? I mean, now, yeah, and then, like, and here's another one I'll just throw out. Um, Helena Bonham Carter expressed interest in playing Arwen. I mean, like, oh, God. I, hate I think this so the much. cast we got was so good and so pitch perfect. And yeah. Even though you have a mix of American and English actors and even the American actors doing English accents pretty well, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm an American saying that. Um, Kate Blanchett is Galadriel. Yes, please. Um, so good. Just everybody, I think, is fantastic in this. I'm just gonna say it. I don't. I don't like Frodo. That's my yeah, you one. Would like say that you would say I would. that. I don't. I don't like Elijah Wood in this. Oh. It makes me mad. Yeah, okay. that's because when you reach a certain level of maturity, Justin, oh, you realize that Frodo, <laughs> he's not Bilbo, bro. Bilbo went on his journey voluntarily. Frodo was thrust into this thing. He had no choice. That's I don't right. want that's... him to be Bilbo. I just man, like have some yeah. caffeine or something. Wake up. Be happy, man. I think it's great. He's under the. He's got the ring, man. That's a yeah. lot of responsibility. I know. He's just so, so fussy all the time. Which brings us to Hero's Journey. This is an absolutely perfect example of the monomyth. It's one I talk about in class. Like, absolutely, Frodo's the reluctant hero. It's thrust upon him. You have death of the mentor. You've got death and rebirth. You've got meeting with the goddess. You've got you've got all of the steps. It is an absolutely perfect one. As is the Hobbit, which is kind of interesting. They both uh, fit that fit that cycle. The one thing we I talk- would add about that hero's journey that I, I wrote this down specifically was that I feel like because knowing how the trilogy goes, having seen it before and then going back and doing a rewatch here, the building of the hobbits through the whole thing starts out very slow. First, they're just running as they leave the Shire. They're running through a field, very low risk, they're, but they're having to run and hide. Then they get into the forest. There's some danger coming. They don't know what it is. They're hiding under tree roots. And so it's kind of a building of their uh it's kind of a building of their ability and their grit to this task they didn't just go start walking into mordor you know one does not simply just walk into mordor you have to like build your abilities as you go and so i feel like you gotta level up you gotta level up and so they go from running in the cornfield running in the forest and hiding and then taking off and then going to the town where aragorn is uh strider and they're walking into the the bar and it's very untrusting and it's kind of weird and bizarre. Like everything they do has been out of a comfort zone of a hobbit mm-hmm. and it builds that hero. It's a hero's journey of developing them along yes. the way beyond all of just the hero's journey arc. And I thought it was tremendous how they do it. They did not waste the time to just kind of skip ahead. They did this methodically. So that's why I don't think they could ever make this anymore. They would turn this into a season long show and nine episodes and have some fillers and it would be terrible. Yeah. Uh, Corey, that's a great reminder too for for our audience to, that the hero's journey is not just a physical journey from point A to point B. Yeah. That it is very much a developmental journey, yeah. internal journey of of the characters turning into the hero that yeah, their stamina, their fellowship Absolutely. of each other, yeah, everything leveling up, as Justin said too. Yeah, it's great. And they they each have their own idiosyncrasies when you look at it. Yeah, like they all grow over time, but like they each have their own challenge they must overcome. You know, Pippin. Yeah. As Galadriel says, like you will find your courage, and like he, you know, he's the he's the scaredy cat, but he eventually like overcomes that. And Sam, you know, his loyalty to Frodo is tested, and obviously Frodo has to deal with the greatest evil, and he fails. But Sam is there to save him, 
So yeah, it's like they all have their own their yep. own individual heroes Specific. journeys. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we talked about world building at length, so I think we can move to final thoughts. And Andrew, I'm going to give you first crack. Oh, uh, I was going to. I wrote one question: uh, director cameos, yay or nay? I'm good as with that as long as, long as, as it's it doesn't not distracting. Yep, agreed. Sorry, I interrupted you, Craig. So you're, no, you're uh, good in it. Yeah, oh, blink yeah. or miss. He's blink, in blink three. He's eating a carrot as the hobbits are walking up to the hotel. Yep, in the rain. Very big carrot. And he burps. And he he's in every one. He's uh, in the two towers. Uh, he's on an oliphant, I think. And in Return of the King, he's one of the corsairs that Aragorn kills. He gets shot by an arrow. And his children, like a, his his uh, son and daughter, are in all of them as like five year old kids. Oh, I feel like as a director, you've like earned the right to be in your own film as long as as long as they don't go out of the way to point it but out. But what yeah. about like M Night Shyamalan? Is that going too far? It depends. I mean, it's um, Alfred Hitchcock did it. If Alfred Hitchcock does it, then it's okay. Why yeah, it's allowed. But again, he's doing it in a very subtle way. Yeah. All right. And then my final final thought would be: uh, you all need to name your favorite characters and why. Mine is Boromir because he is the most relatable. We're all human men. And he falls from grace, and he redeems himself. And I feel Aragorn is—I don't want to—I don't want to take anyone's thunder, but Aragorn is the perfect man who we all aspire to be. But Boromir mm. is the real man who we all are. Mm. Nice mm. mic drop. Mm. I'm gonna go Legolas because he goes God mode because I know that irritates you, Andrew. <laughs> he is so overpowered, <laughs> but I love it. I love yeah, Legolas. I do. I, I love that scene where he's just like shooting like seven guys in a row, just standing over on the left hand side. Great, just right. one shot too of it, just wide, just bang, bang, yeah. bang, bang. Ar- Aragorn's wrestling on the ground while he kills like seven of them. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Justin, Corey, I, I don't know if I can choose a favorite. I, um, Gandalf, absolutely yeah. Gandalf. Love yeah, Gandalf maybe too. Gandalf. His whole arc like dying, coming back, and his wisdom he imparts. I'm all about movie and wisdoms now. Well, if we're going with the whole trilogy, I'm going to say Grima Wormtongue. I love that guy. <laughs> no, <laughs> Fellowship characters. The nine okay. Fellowship members. All yeah. right, Gandalf then. That's How did point. we not talk no. about... Uh, Gandalf like, already the... got chosen. You got to pick a different one. He just took my turn, though. That's not fair. <laughs> no, I, you guys already took the good were ones. Were you talking Gandalf. about Wormtongue uh, stabbing Saruman? I well, just, when I we just... get to that movie... Oh yeah. man, okay. Yeah. I've been, I know I know Corey Corey could not stop watching once he watched this one. I could I, I I burned through all three and just wrapped it up last night. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's yeah. That's they're, they're help great myself. movies. How have we not talked about like the poetic nature of the way they talk? I feel like we should have talked about that during dialogue. But every time they're monologuing, it's so beautiful. Mm. Yeah. How oh, they say Mordor. They Mordor. <laughs> Sound like gimme. No, you're right, though. They're all... It's Tolkien, bro, and that's what separates it from Rings of Power. Sorry, Rings of Prime. Rings of Prime yeah. doesn't talk like that, so it doesn't no. feel Tolkienian. Yeah. Ooh, good choice. Uh, other final thoughts before we get out of here? I don't I think, think I have anything good. else to say. Top movie yeah. of all time. Top trilogy. It's definitely in my top three movies of all time, for sure. The problem is it's not a movie that you can... Well, maybe you but it's not the kind of movie where I can watch it over and over and over and over. Oh no, I could, I, I, I can totally watch can do it that. and then I'll yeah. get in the mood and watch it. Like, but, but at the same time, once I started watching fellowship, I had to continue through. I stop. <laughs> so you just so, disprove that. Yeah. I just, do you guys find too, like, as you get older, like I fellowship used to be my least favorite, but as I get older, it's, it's 
slowly becoming my favorite. Yeah. Least yeah. favorite of the three, I should say. I like slower movies now than I did when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Two Towers was my favorite growing up because Helm's Deep. But as an adult, as a man, I prefer Fellowship. <laughs> okay. On that note, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on X and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend. Support us by writing a review on your favorite podcast catcher. One last thing, our next episode will be a review of Denny Villeneuve's Dune Part 1. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Dune Part 1, and we'll share it on the next episode. 